Thank you for tuning in to Morning Moments with Pastor Bruce Goddard from Faith Baptist Church. We pray that this is a blessing to you. Thanks for joining us today. And I'm going to have a little bit of an unusual podcast here. Uh, you know, there's a verse in Jeremiah chapter 5, verse 5. It says, I will get me unto the great men and will speak unto them, for they have known the way of the Lord and the judgment of their God. But these, talking about the, the people that are in leadership in Israel at the time, these have altogether broken the yoke and burst <clears throat> the bonds. And that's a, that's a pretty key um, statement there at the end of verse 5. They've broken the yoke and burst the bonds. If you're familiar with Psalm chapter 2, it says, Why do the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing? The kings of the earth, these earthly rulers have set themselves. The rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. The, the rulers of this world don't want um, rules and right and wrong. They don't want God to be placing moral uh, right and wrong in their life. Uh, <clears throat> our our culture doesn't even like rules of gender. They don't like rules of leadership. Um, um, you know, a, a man being the head of his house, or um, they this this world just struggles with any kind of yoke or bonds, and and that's how God sets this world up with rules, gravity. Um, you know, every country's got laws and. And every home should have rules and, and uh, things that they do and don't do. But anyway, um, the world hates rules. They want to they break every rule, violate every principle. Uh, they don't want anybody making them to do anything. But, um, but that's not the message this morning. In, in the beginning of verse 5, he says, I'll get me unto the great men and speak unto them, for they have known the way of the Lord and the judgment of their God. They're, he says, I'm going to find some great men. And why? Because they've known the way of the Lord. And number two, they know the judgment of God. And when I was in Bible college, uh, something that is uh, an oddity today among college students and young preachers is uh, when, when I was in college and the young people I hung around, and I'm not saying they were all this way, but everybody had a hunger to learn from older, wiser men. I mean, Dr. House had a chronic cough for many, many years. Toward the end of his ministry, it, it went away, just went away completely. But for many years, he had this um, this deep cough in the middle of his sermon. He, and there were young men wanting to cough in their sermons to be like Jack Hiles. Um, the, uh, for me, I sat in chapel. I wanted to cut my hair like the guys who were preaching. I wanted to dress like them. Last thing I wanted to do is look around my dorm and dress like college kids and act like college kids, comb my hair like college kids. I didn't want to grow up and be a college kid. I wanted to grow up and be a man of God. I wanted to get through school, get trained. I wanted outward and inward to be like these great men. Why? Well, because they know the way of the Lord. They know the way. They know how God does things. They know the methods and manners of God. And there is a way, you know, there's a way that seems right unto men, and then there are the ways of death, Proverbs says. But there is a way of the Lord. There is, secondly, the judgment of their God. How does God judge things? How does God look at stuff? And this world is so backwards. This world is so corrupt. And it's, it's uh, the, the, it seems like the more educated people are, the more stupid they become. 
and that's in ministry as well as law, as well as uh, the business world. You know, people talk about horse sense, uh, common sense, not very common, but um, I'll get me to the great men today. uh, Certainly today, young preachers are are arrogantly throwing out the old guys and the old guys' opinions. And and I, I tell you, I love, I love to read and listen to old guys. I love that our internet has got least sermons back to the 50s. And um, uh, I don't know how many preachers like Bob Jones and Lee Robertson, different men that I've listened to online a lot, Oliver B. Green and so many people that uh, were great preachers, men that knew God. They knew the way of the Lord and they knew the judgment of their God. And and when Jeremiah said, I'm going to get me to them, it was, it was out of frustration with the corrupt leadership in his government. He was frustrated with the corrupt, corrupt leadership in the church. And he said, I've got to get back to some great men who knew God. And um, so when I graduated from college, that was, that was really where I was. And, and if I, got a, I could get a hold of books by A.B. Simpson or Ari Torrey, if I could find books and sermon books and, and uh, philosophy books, ministry books, by great old men from Charles Spurgeon to Dwight Moody or Billy Sunday. I mean, I wanted, I wanted the stuff from these old guys. And um, one of the things, just again with our anniversary um, just having passed, um, just still a lot of things on my mind, is I, from the beginning of our ministry and from when I was in college, I spent an awful lot of time learning from old men. I don't know that I ever sat around listening to young men's sermons. Um, I'm not sure I've, other than for, I'm, I just can't I can't say if I've sat around listening to anybody preach who was younger than me. Uh, now, in the last decade, as I've gotten to the, the latter end of the age scale, uh, I've been at some conferences and listened to some great preaching that's younger than me, but I'm still... I've built my philosophical values. I've built my value system on old men that I knew, knew the Lord, the ways of the Lord and his judgments. Um, And I just, I thought I'm going to take a few minutes to maybe a a couple of these podcasts and just talk about some men that have been at our church, some men I knew. Of course, my own pastor, Pastor Blue, he went to heaven just this last year. And uh, Pastor Blue was a farm boy and um, had a good Christian mom. And Pastor Blue ended up getting saved through a pretty tragic accident, nearly lost his life as a teenager. And uh, he got saved and uh, he went to the Navy, World War II, and, um, and he, he took his stand. He said, I, uh, I wasn't gonna go to the, on shore leave with the guys drinking and running around. I stayed on the boat and he said it was boring and, and everybody wants to get off the ship. But I knew the safest thing for me was to not go into town. And, he told all kinds of stories, but he said there were times people try to make him drink liquor and people, they try to nudge him and urge him to go with them to do wrong. He wouldn't, he said, but late at night, they'd come in sick and miserable and guilt-ridden and they'd come to his bunk and talk to him about, about God's forgiveness and mercy. Pastor Blue got out of the Navy. Uh, when he was in the Navy, he met his wife at, at uh, Fuller meeting, some of you that are old timers, you could still get recordings, the old time revival hour, old time gospel hour with Charles Fuller. 
and uh, what meetings. Rudy Atwood was the the famous pianist, and they'd had a they had a, a men's quartet that sang, I think, every every um, service there. And um, but uh, they met there, and they dated, and then went on and got married. Went to Biola when Biola was pretty strong teaching uh, the Word of God, and uh, then Pastor Blue was the the hired on as a youth pastor at the Church of the Open Door. Um, pastor Blue, this is before there was such a thing as a youth pastor. But Pastor Blue started work with young people from junior high up to college, and he had what we would call Bible clubs um, in basically every every school and college in the area, and they had over 900 young people coming to their church that was it was under the leadership of Pastor Blue. Um, and I've mentioned this in the past, but I asked him about you know what, how many youth workers did you need, how many teachers and helpers did you need, and and um, you know what were their jobs and. And he, we were talking one day, and he mentioned Roy Rogers and Dale Evans worked with him with the youth at Church of the Open Door. I said, yeah, well, no wonder. I said, did Trigger help? He said, no, he was he was in a stall down the street, but he was he was around. But um, um, Louis Zapparini, the story unbroken that's been made pretty popular, famous in recent years. He was a, a World War II, an incredible story, a prisoner of war, but he got saved. And Louis Zapparini was one of his workers in his youth department. Pastor Blue had an amazing ministry there. And um, he was on his way up to very incredible leadership in, in the colleges and church world in Southern California. But he felt God would have him go st uh, start a church in Redding, California. And um, started that church. And, and I always mix the numbers up. I've got them written down somewhere else. But I think it was nine building programs in 11 years or 11 building programs in nine years. Built building and building and building after building, project after project. And the church grew leaps and bounds. And um, unbelievable ministry. Um, there's things I learned from Pastor Blue. I learned personal holiness. And he preached in our church many times. And he was He was little. He was a, 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 an athletic young man. He was a fast-pitch baseball pitcher, and, um, and he, he sang, and, and, oh, what a, and he was a godly man. But I think the thing that I learned, I, I got most, he, he radiated a life of holiness and uh, just a godly man. And um, that you're godly doesn't mean people aren't going to attack you or hate you or whatever. He had a couple of pretty major church splits <clears throat> along the way and a lot of ugly behavior by people along the way, but, but he was godly and, um, and, uh, loved, and he loved people. Oh, he had a love for people. I've been with him out to eat, I don't know how many times uh, over the years, and we'd go up to Reading to visit family, and we'd go see Pastor Blue and, and uh, go to dinner with him or lunch, and, and almost always there'd be somebody in the restaurant he knew. He'd been up there all those 40-plus years, and and a small area, and uh, he knew so many people from that giant church, and and they'd be going to other churches, and he'd just love them and be good to them and speak to them and check up on them, and, and uh, he loved people and he loved holiness, and such lessons. And of course, our next pastor I had was Dr. Jack Hiles, and he preached for us here at our church many times, and he didn't just preach for us; he was my friend. He was good to me, as he was to many. I didn't have any unique relationship. I felt it was unique, but but probably anybody that knew Brother Hiles well they felt they had a unique relationship with him he was just an amazing man when it came to making you feel important uh, you go to uh, you go get some time with him and when you walk away you're going to believe you could do it you're going to believe that 
that God loves you and he loved you and, and, and he and God both believed in you. And pretty amazing that his ability to make people um, just be able to step up and try. And um, the again, preaching at our church on multiple occasions, he loved our tent and I hated it, but he loved it. And when we, when we started working on a building, he was a little concerned. He told me several times, he said, I'm worried. He said, you've got a spirit at this place that's so unique. And he said, I'm worried when you move into the building, you're going to lose this spirit. And he said, I just want you to keep it. And, and he loved the relaxed atmosphere and the freshness. He, and of course, he teased about, um, about things that happened. He was uh, we had the tent uh, flaps up and stretched them straight out for shade because we had so many people. And we built a little raised platform a couple of feet higher and, and then put chairs on it so people that were outside the tent were actually under a tent flap. And um, they were in the balcony in our tent. And uh, and uh, one one Sunday he's preaching, or not a Sunday, but a Monday or Tuesday night he's preaching and a ruckus going on the back of the auditorium. And and a possum had come running into the tent and ran in between people's legs, and and um, and that was pretty exciting. And and uh, we told that story all, <clears throat> all over America. He made us well known. We weren't <clears throat> we weren't anybody special. <clears throat> Excuse me, but he was uh, he was good at making people something. And uh, he was he. Uh, He'd make you look better than you were, that's for sure. Now this sorry crowd of people today, they do their best to make you look worse than you are. They'll pick your very worst day and talk about it forever and ignore 500 good days. And that is a slimy, dirty, um, venomous kind of lifestyle. And it'll come back on people. But great people don't do that. And um, Dr. Hauser didn't do that. But... um, I said, Pastor Blue, that I, I think I learned from him holiness and a love for people. He was incredibly organized. Oh, he was organized. I did not learn that from Pastor Blue. I wish I had, but I didn't. He was so brilliantly organized. One day I was there, I think it was a Wednesday, and we were on vacation. I went up to his office to see him. He had a big church, I'm guessing, I don't know, two or 3,000 people. And he picked up a stack of, uh, in the old days when they had uh, computer printers that had little holes in the side of the paper and they kind of rolled out and the paper uh, was perforated every eight and a half by 11 sheet, but they were attached unless you tore them apart and, and it would fold piece to piece to piece. And he reached over and grabbed it, pulled it up and it was two or three sheets long. He raised it up. He said, that's all my, all absentees from Sunday. And there's a note next to each name why they were absent. And I thought that's unbelievable. In a church this size, by Wednesday, you know who was absent and why they were absent. And just, that was Pastor Blue. So I didn't get that from him. I wish I had. Oh, I wish I had. He he was amazing when it came to organization. Well, Brother Hiles is that way. Dr. Hiles was a, and he didn't just have it organized on paper. He was brilliant in his mind. He remembered. He never took notes on counseling because he remembered. Um, he would come here each year for many years and I remember one year picking him up at the airport and just chit-chatting. He said, so how's attendance yesterday? It was Monday when he came, and I told him. And, and he said, that's good. That's up from last year. And I thought, I don't even know what we had last year. How do you know what we had last year? He'd ask about the offerings, and he'd remember my offerings from the year before. And uh, he was concerned. Uh, he was concerned about my wife and I not owning a home. We lived on church property a lot and, uh, and just whatever we could live in. And 
rented things here and there. I think everybody on our staff owned a home before I got a piece of dirt in my name. And I didn't care, but he cared. He made a big deal about it. He said, you need a piece of dirt in your name. And uh, Dr. Jack Treber was down here, and he said the same thing. He said, You're, when you have a piece of dirt in your name, you just can't pack up and leave when things get bad. And I thought, man, I'm looking back thinking, if I, if I was going to leave when things got bad, I'd have left. But, um, but Dr. Hiles, um, he, was, he was one that, that taught us so much. And I think one of the things that, that he taught was, was the passion for the ministry. The ministry is the greatest thing in the world preaching the greatest privilege, soul winning the greatest honor, teaching the Bible to young people or adults, the greatest responsibility. Um, he, he taught us not just the passion for the ministry, but to have a vision. He taught, uh, he taught me anyway, to have a vision for young adults, to look at them and, and see what they might become one day. And you know, perhaps that's why we've had so many young people off into the ministry from our church because I did I did believe in them and and I remember looking at a young lady one day and high school girl making some big decisions and it was involving breaking up with some a pretty good guy and leaving one school going to our Christian school and and she it was going to be a huge lifestyle change for her um, she was probably on her way to having an athletic scholarship to college and and uh, she was just one of these smart beautiful, popular, everything. She was the whole package for a 17, 18 year old girl. And, and uh, she was humble and gracious on top of that very godly Christian girl. And, and, um, I said, it's up to you. But I remember we were at a camp and, and I said, you can, you got to make the decision, but you could be somebody. We just had Jojo Moffat at our church at a ladies conference. And I said, you could be a Jojo Moffat. You could be, you could be speaking at ladies conferences. And, and I'll never forget, she stood a little closer than I was comfortable with, but she's, you know, a public school girl and, and she didn't know any better. And, and she just stepped, she stepped up a little bit close and she looked at me. I mean, not like the sergeant talked to Gomer Pyle, not that close, but, but I remember she kind of took a step forward toward me and looked me square in the eye and said, do you really believe that? And I said, yeah, I do believe it. I, and, you know, and I, and I remember, oh, a decade or more later, 10 or 15 years later, whatever it was. And um, she was speaking at our ladies' conference. And then a few more years passed, and she's traveling out of town speaking at other ladies' conferences and, and helping. And, uh, and, some, and, and what uh, I, did, I tell you what, I, I think I learned from Brother Hiles to believe in people, that God and you can get something done for his glory. And, um, what a, and, and, and to endure hardness and to just keep on going. And, and uh, I was so grateful. Uh, Brother Hiles, I uh, remember one of the, uh, I've got a list of a whole bunch of names here. I'm just going to mention, uh, probably just stop with this. But I remember Dr. Hiles, uh, you know, he's traveling all over the country. Everybody in America knew him. He was a fundamental Baptist. And, and um, he's standing in our tent. And, and I don't know why. Somebody had donated some really beautiful French doors, you know, the kind that are panes of glass all through the doors. And they're nicely stained wood and and um, and they'd put a door frame up in our tent and hooked the tent flaps to it. So the tent flaps went all the way around the tent. But right there, 
there were double French doors, beautiful doors, like you'd have in a very nice home, beautiful exterior doors there. And then somebody poured concrete and stamped it. So it stamped concrete, had lines in it and stuff. And so it looked very, very pretty. And they colored it. So we had this beautiful double French doors and stamped concrete entranceway, maybe eight feet wide by 12 or 15 feet out or something like that. It's a long time ago, but, but um, uh, we're in this tent jam-packed full of people. We had fans hung in the, uh, off the beams that we'd put between the center poles, and, and it, was a, it was a tent. It's all it was, a tent. That was pretty. We built a choir loft in one corner, and we, we put a wooden floor in, just put the wood right on the dirt, and um, anyway, it was pretty unusual. Uh, baptistry built a platform, put a six-foot horse trough on that platform and put a pretty curtain around it so it looked nice. And then we, But we baptized in a horse trough. And he stood there in the pulpit and he said, uh, looking around the room, he said, you're idiots. And people started to cheer. He said, no, no, you're idi- you really are. You're idiots for having your weddings in this tent. And everybody cheered. And then he said, you're idiots for having your funerals in this tent. And everybody cheered. He said, you're idiots for having your Christian school. I mean, we had a dirt lot and two trailers and Christian school putting young people off into the ministry. And he said, you're idiots. You're, idi- you're just all idiots. You're, you're idiots for going to church in the winter when it's cold. And everybody cheered. And he said, you're idiots for going. He went on and on. And, and he said, but you know the most idiotic thing I know of are those two doors back there. <laughs> everybody cheered and roared in laughter. And uh, what we, he, one of the things I learned from Brother Hiles is to believe in people, to, to, to have a passion for the ministry, but also to love what we do, to laugh, to enjoy, to cut up sarcasm and horsing around. I watched him run vacation Bible school and thought, that's what I want to do with children. I want the kids to know the pastor loves them. And uh, just the other day, on our anniversary Sunday, I had, a, a, well, I guess, 100 and whatever, 120 or something, maybe 150, I don't know, boys and girls all up on the platform in the, in the Sunday morning service. Some of those kids in holy jeans, some of them in, in the shorts and, and some pretty suits and dresses and things. And, but I had that old, all these children up there singing with me, and we started swaying back and forth, clapping, heaven is better than this. My brother House taught me to enjoy the ministry, to laugh and to love it. Oh, it's a great, great life. And, and uh, I'm going to take my next one. And we'll talk about, I got about a dozen other names. I'll talk a little less. But Pastor Blue, Pastor Hiles, these two men loved me, cared about me. And our church sure is indebted to what these men taught.